before I speak, any, anybody got any good testimony? Good testimony, what God's doing in the life at the moment? Who wants to give a testimony? Anybody? Are you all shy? Pardon? All right, you can come and do your half-finished testimony then. I, I know what this is, so um, it'll fit with what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll do, I'll do a show. I put so much detail into things, it's terrible. Right, I'll try and be short. Basically, a while ago, a couple of weeks, my car broke. I've, the clutch is gone. It's, it's really struggling. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. The only money I had, I had set aside for a holiday. So I was like, so I've lost my car. I will lose my holiday. I am very sad. Um, so I prayed about it. And then completely out of the blue, someone messaged me and said, I've been praying for you. God wants me to give you 750 quid towards a new car. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> the next day, I get a message from someone else. I've been praying. God wants me to give you a thousand pounds towards your new car. And I was like, huh. And then I got Brian around and he was like, oh, I can fix your car for like 650 quid. And I was like, huh? Okay, I'll fix it then. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then I was driving to my mate's house because I can just about drive it still. And um, God said to me in my head, he said, if you fix it, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Now, I'm not American. I don't use that word. And I was like, huh? <laughs> so I was like, that's clearly not me thinking. So God was like, get yourself a new car. Don't fix that one. So I'm not fixing that. And then to add to it again, I've just been given another hundred pounds from someone towards my car as well. So I now have an insane amount of money to buy a car. So I haven't got it yet. I'm currently still praying for what God wants me to get because I don't want to get a car that isn't the car that he's picked for me because why would I? So I'm waiting until I find it. So at one point, I'll stand up here and go. I, th I think you should stretch your face. Go for a Red Bull, Formula One. <laughs> All right, I'm in. But then I won't be able to come on Sundays, you see. That's true, Probably. that's true. You'll be racing. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Cool. Anybody else got a testimony? <laughs> Jürgens. Well, we're pointing at D, are we? Yeah. You, you, you spoke about uh, that you're going to do finances, and I thought let me just quickly share a testimony um, regarding finances just very quickly. Um, yeah, maybe I'm going to showcase a bit of vulnerability, but that's okay. Um, but this is not maybe recently, but regarding to finances. Um, so about three years ago, um, four years ago, we, we, we came to the UK, um, and I was never a really a keen, keen in giving ties. Uh, um, you know, it's like always go work hard and, you know, do your best, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, But I mean, my wife kind of kept on nagging um, that that's quite important. Um, so, so when we joined Faith Life, we, we, we started um, giving. Um, and then um, a few months in, we, we, we got notice that we had to be um, leaving our rental property. So we had to get a new house. But here's the problem. We, um, we moved to South Africa. Um, and in that time, there were some administrative errors in, uh, in my bank account. And I, and I was defaulted. Right? So a good, a good naughty blacklist for six years. Which meant that, you know, no credit for me at all. Um, so I wasn't able to, to, to purchase a house or, or anything. So I came back to the UK and found out that two years ago, I actually had a default. Um, and, and I wasn't aware of that um, at all, at all. Anyway, so um, the chance came for us to, to move out of the property. And my mate told me in Foxton that um, 
that's okay. There's a house around the corner that you need to um, put an offer on. Um, I'm like, mate, <laughs> I've got a default. Um, he's like, no, it doesn't matter because God has selected that house for me and I've got peace about that. So we're just going to praise that God close the eyes of the evaluators for the default and that you will have favor on, from, from God to, to actually get a, get a, get a mortgage. Um, I was like, yeah, good luck. Um, and uh, long story short, um, I found myself one morning working from home, going to the home. I didn't plan it. It's just I found myself in front of the home. Um, there's a lady there. I said, listen, I want to make an offer to the house. Made an offer. She came back to me, said, yeah, I've got to use their mortgage broker. I'm saying, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. It's fine. Um, and she phoned me back the afternoon and said that I've got a mortgage in principle. Um, I was a bit confused. Long story short, we managed to get a mortgage. I managed to get a deposit that I didn't have. Um, I managed to get a MBA funded by my work. That, that money that I got funded from MBA actually went directly back into the, into the deposit for the money that I had to buy, buy back. And I didn't lose any money, essentially. So none of the money for the deposit came out of my own pocket. Everybody that borrowed me money or lent me money got their money back. It was just a ridiculous situation. And here I said, two years later, with a home, with a mortgage, um, able to, 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 to provide for my family. And by the end of the week, my default is going to be gone. Then it's going to be six years. Um, and I thought this might be a good opportunity just to maybe share that, you know, that irrespective of your mistakes or your errors, whether it's administrative, whether you make mistakes or not, that even if it's for a period of time that you, that you give, you know, you don't give because you want to give back. But if you give, crazy stuff happens. You can't explain it. Um, and I thought maybe it's just appropriate to share that maybe this morning. Thank you. So it looks like Dee's a willing volunteer. Thank you, Bucky. <laughs> Would you like to point more loudly at her? <laughs> I wasn't a willing volunteer. I chickened out and then people had seen my hand up. So um, it's kind of a, a half testimony. I'm, I'm still going through it. So um, most people know that we moved to Papworth about a year ago. Um, Yay, Papworth. <laughs> and um, I've really enjoyed it. And when, prior to moving to Papworth, um, I had seen that there was no um, mother and baby groups within there. And I said to my mate, I said, oh, you should set up a mother and baby group there because she does baby classes. She said to me, oh, why don't you do it? And I was like, I don't know anything about running a baby group. So, um, however, I felt like Holy Spirit, there was Holy Spirit on it. So I prayed about it and I said, you know what, let's, let's take a crack at it, see what happens. So I set up a mother and baby group that's been actually quite successful. Um, and within that, um, I felt like God has been speaking through it and he's given me like objectives and aims and things that I'm not, I, I, I don't count myself as business minded. I'm not. Um, but I just love, I just love God and I want to follow his, follow his commands. And um, so I took a step of faith at the beginning of this year to make the, um, make my mother and baby group a official charity, a CIC. Um, and since then I've had, um, I've had other organisations that are more established than mine wanting to partner um, Homestart wants to work with me. The council want to work with me. Um, and it's just been an absolute blessing. Um, I have decided, I have made a 
choice this year to start giving more to the church. And ever since then, funny about finances, since then I've just seen God's favour just excel. So that's Come on. Yeah. There you go. Good morning, everybody. That was quite a deep voice I got there. Um, very impressive voice. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. I try. Um, yeah, so um, I've been baiting God and Christianity for about 20 years. Um, I've gone in and out of love with it, and I've um, really had to um, think about where my faith is going. And I met Nora um, about a year ago. We're getting married in July. Woo! She doesn't know what she's letting herself in for. (laughs) Um, And... uh, Nora brought me to church. It's actually like we, we weren't planning on coming here. There's a church like down there, and we were walking. We saw um, the Faith Life um, billboard, and so we went in here thinking it was the other church. And then, <laughs> and then at the end, we were like, so is this? No? Okay, cool. Right. So ended up not being that, um, and now we're here. Um, and Nora's led me... Um, and guided me towards, on the 31st of December, 2022, coming born again. Yeah, um, took a lot, um, and now I'm here, and there's one finance thing, but there's this as well, that um, I find it really difficult to um, keep my faith up, even after being born again, because... I'm not at church, and you said it the other week that you need to come to church to try and keep up with everything. And I travel quite a lot, um, and so I'm not always around. Um, and it, it, it's a struggle, but um, Nora does Bible study with me. Well done, um, Nora. Yeah. Um, well, most of the time, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thomas. Um, so, so, yeah, it's... it's it, it is difficult, but it's it's there, and um, I thank all of you um, for welcoming us into church, um, into this church, and hopefully um, we can we can pay it back with our love um, to you all. Uh, I'm going to say something else in a minute, so clap. <laughs> and the last thing is um, about finances. So I set up my business um, on a four thousand pound credit card. Um, in 2017 and um, I said to my dad I was setting up a business and he said you'll fail Um, and I've had that on my mind um, for the last six years Uh, it's been very up and down Um, there have been times when uh, finance have not been there and I've been looking up going you know how's this going to work 
and we basically came to the end of the road in July. We had 500 pounds in the bank, um, bearing in mind we have to bring in about 35,000 a month to keep the company going. Um, and so we were in, you know, real problem. Um, and I just looked up and I was just like, I need something, please, because it, it just wasn't working. And um, the next day or the day after, um, someone came up to me and started talking about investing in a company. Um, and now um, we've gone completely the other way. Um, and something's looking out because we're now doing really well. Um, and there's no other explanation other than the big man. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, I believe, and thank you, Mark, for being there. Um, and I hope that we can be a part of this. So thank you. Jürgens, can you come play for Tom? No, you, don't look behind you, Jürgens. You, come play for him. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just here, big That's man. That's what you get for doing truth quests, you see. <laughs> come on, come on, big man. Yeah, Father God, thank you just uh, for your love, Father God. And, um, yeah, Father, we are nothing without you. Um, and I just pray, Father God, that you'll, you'll take my brother on a journey and that you'll speak to him and that... Um, that you'll help him to be patient with himself self as well, Father. Um, and that you'll continue to bring him to perfection, Father. Um, that's with us all. And I pray that we will together focus and, and, and really grow in faith. And that you will give the gift of grace and faith, Father God. And that we will respond positively. And I just pray that, Father, as we emerge in Scripture, Father God, that you'll continue to bring forth the fruit, Father God. Um, I just thank you, Father. I just pray for protection, and I just pray for your blood, Father, over my brother, Father. Um, and I just pray that you'll continue the journey, and that you'll continue the work, Father God. And I pray against any work of the enemy in Jesus' name. I proclaim in Jesus' name that the, that the blood of Jesus and the word of the testimony will overcome in Jesus' name, Father God. And I just thank you for your favor, Father God, upon him. And I just pray, Father God, that you will um, really open up the word and, and the road and, and give interpretation and give dreams and give vision, Father God, in Jesus' name. And thank you for his relationship with Nora, Father God, and that you'll bless that, Father. That you'll bless that, Father God, in Jesus' name, Father God. Thank you for unity, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I explained a few weeks ago, um, if this is kind of your first morning or your second morning or whatever, and you think, oh, no, he's talking about money. Um, actually, I don't talk about money. It's quite a big uh, challenge for me to, to teach this. Uh, we've been going as a church for 15, 16 years now. And in that time, I've only spoke about finances twice. I've done two little mini CVs in, in all those years. Um, but I've really felt for some time that um, the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk about this. And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is, in the times we're in, you need to know that God is your provider. Not the government, not the economy, but God. 
And God can turn things around in an instant that you could never turn around with 70 years of work. So that's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that it's really important that we honor God with everything we have. That he is the center of our lives. When we become believers, we give our life to Christ. So it's no longer ours. And so we live for his kingdom. And God is well able to handle that and look after us. And he says, I'm your provider. And I'll provide not according to your needs, but according to my riches in heaven. So he's got more than enough for everybody. And uh, it's really important that we understand this because I've I've always been challenged by this because I... I followed these principles since I was at university and had a, like a, a, success, a, a career so successful I don't understand how it ever happened, and I still don't, to the situation where when that was kind of dealt with in church, I got one of two responses to that when I was in business. The first response was, I'm going to lean on you to give money. So that's, that was a very real approach that we, we experienced, particularly in the, our early years in Cambridge. And then, and the second response was, you get to speak once a year because you can do our annual finances talk. Well, we dobbed Paul Howarth in for that for several years now, and, and he's opted out, so you've got me again. <laughs> um, but I'm going to talk about this over several weeks because you find that there's all sorts of approaches, and, and I'm sure some of you guys have experienced it, to how churches deal with this. Some, some churches will say, you can't be members if you don't tithe. Uh, we don't want to go down that route because that's, that's manipulation. Uh, other churches will high pressure you with regular gift days and talk about money like all the time because they've got all sorts of things that they want to fund. So that approach is, let's sell you our vision for what we want to build here, and we want to give you it. If you like the vision, you should give. And of course, it's an amazing vision. So you should all give. Again, although I understand that from my business background, that's decidedly unscriptural. really is. Scripture's much clearer than that. So when I... The Holy Spirit said, I want you to talk about finances. I'm going, I don't want to talk about finances. Um, But, you know, in every church, you get a whole range of understandings and a whole range of approaches and a whole range of heart postures. So I would think in any church, you get people who give sacrificially. You get, get people who tithe, that's give 10%. You get people who give a little bit but nothing like 10%, maybe 1% or less even. And then you get people who never give at all. We are no different from that typical church. We have all those characters and, and, and we have all those approaches. And I don't understand how uh, I can address that other than go back to the basic fundamentals of what the Bible teaches. Because above all things, 
right at this moment in the development of Christianity in our nation, we need to be faithful to Scripture instead of faithful to society or faithful to the culture. And so we will always try and be faithful to Scripture. So I'm going to try and do that. Um, it's not a one-week talk, so there's, there's no rush. But as long as you understand why I'm doing it, and if this is your first or second week, sorry, you came to the finances talks. <laughs> but we do talk about other things. Is that okay? So that's my kind of big intro, an explanation of why I'm doing this. Um, I'm going to title this series of talks because it's good to have a title, isn't it? And as you know, all we talk about, the center of everything is Jesus. So I'm going to talk, title this, Jesus and Money. If you want a, like, a touchy-feely title, I played around with the generosity of Jesus. So you might like that one better. If you do, put that at the top of your page. But anyway, it's Jesus and Money. Now, here's where I want to start. I want to start with Jesus. Jesus himself exemplifies to us what generosity looks like. And in the light of that, it's not a burden to give, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to give because we get to be like Jesus. So let's, let's identify that thing called the elephant in the room. You all know what an elephant in the room is, yeah? So here's the ele elephant in the room. Jesus talked about money a lot. The Bible talks about money a lot, but it's in the context, always in the context of that God is more generous than any of us. And so I'm not, I wouldn't be a faithful leader, which is what I want to be, if I don't address it, because it's clearly something that Jesus wanted to talk about, and clearly something that God the Father wanted to talk about. And if I don't teach you how to steward your money from God's perspective, then I am failing in the one task that God has given me, which is to raise faithful disciples. Because faithful disciples have it nailed about what they're supposed to do with their finances. You see, I'm not going to help you budget your money. You can get any guy to do that. There's, there's people that actually have made whole careers out of telling people how to steward the money and manage the money and get bargains. I'm not telling you how to do that. Whilst budgeting is good, the Bible has a different principle, which is called stewardship, which is everything you have comes from God and you get to steward it in partnership with him for his kingdom. I mentioned at the start, and so I just want to get it out of the way again in this first talk, really. Because some of us haven't given because we've come across some pretty swirly-whirly, manipulative sort of stuff. Um, I was just sharing this morning with somebody, I can't remember it was now, how... I was watching a TV program once, and this guy, he was on there, and he said, he said, 
if you send some money in now and you put your hand on the TV screen, you'll get my anointing as a worship leader. So I did. <laughs> and I am not a worship leader. <laughs> and that's an extreme version, but a lot of stuff that's around has been, has been manipulative because it's become about hitting budgets for particular churches or ministries or whatever. Let me say this. The giving to get rich thing is not biblical. Let me also say this. The giving to get your kids saved thing is not biblical. So if you've encountered some of those, I'm just going to pray for you right now that the Holy Spirit will heal your heart. So Father... I ask you to send your Holy Spirit right now into the hearts of everyone here who's encountered that manipulative spirit. I ask you to bring them deep healing. I ask you to flood their hearts with love right now. In Jesus' name. Now, as I've said that, I want you to understand something that is actually equally true, but might sound like I'm saying exactly the opposite of what I just did, which is God does not have a problem with the return and the blessing thing. God loves to bless. He loves to return. But the primary reason we give is not to get. And if you understand that, you won't be manipulated. But more to the point, you will understand that if you've been doing this and you've been having an issue with God because it hasn't quite worked for you, you'll understand why. Because it doesn't work like that. God is a God who's after capturing our hearts. So this is all about the heart. And whilst God loves to bless, from our aspect, he's more concerned about our motives for why we give or don't give. Because he's after our heart. Why? Because he wants to shape our hearts to look like Jesus, who gave everything for us. And so the point, the point that you're going to hear right through these talks is the point is motive. And if we get our hearts right and the motive right, God doesn't have a problem about blessing, providing, and looking after us. If our motives are wrong, it won't work. And therefore, you, you get this pattern of people kind of being manipulated to give every week because they've been told that if they give, they'll get back more. So it's become like, this is how I get wealthy. And James says, you don't have answers to your prayers. You don't get, firstly, because you don't ask. But secondly, so you ask in order to spend it on your own desires. And he says, that sort of prayer doesn't get answered. So I want you to understand that we don't give to get. But the issue for us is motive. We give to love. We give to honor God. 
We give to provide for what God does through his church. And, and I realize that a lot of people have kind of issues with that. You know, this thing's got so complicated. Oh, well, I just... I, I remember my mum when I was a kid, she said, oh, church, she's always after your money. Well, maybe they are. But God's not after your money, not for that reason. He's not investing in a building fund to flip, repair a roof. God asks you to give because that's how he provides for his church. And he says, when you do that, that's honor to me. So give to honor. So let me start with some basics. These are really simple basics. When you become a believer, you become a child of God. You're adopted into his family. He, he becomes like father, God the father. Jesus is your brother. And you're part of the family. So all of heaven's resources are available to you. Everything the family has is available to you. That's what it means to be a child of God. Now, as children of God, this is the second principle, God's saying, I want you to resemble the father. I want you to resemble what the family looks like. We don't want you having values other than that. We want you to have the family values, which is we're generous, we provide, and we trust. And we trust the father. Because children of the family should live the lifestyle of the family. Now, let me ask you a question in this context. So this is still one of the basics. How much did sal your salvation cost Jesus? How much did your salvation cost Jesus? How much did he give to make you his own? That's the motive he wants you to resemble in your heart. How much did he have to give to redeem you and get you adopted into the family? Think about it really slowly. You know, when you, you look at that, he tasted, he, he experienced this brutal, horrible murderous death he experienced rejection he experienced oh, everybody had been close to him just running away he experienced uh, all the church of his day rejecting him and he did that in in the light of having left the glory of heaven emptied himself of all of of heaven's resources and and heaven's power to become a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. He lived something that he'd never done before. He lived amongst sin and all the aspects of sin, and yet didn't sin. And then he gave up his life for you. So it cost him everything. And he's saying, that's the heart I want you to have. Being generous shouldn't be something we do. It should be someone we are. B 
Being generous shouldn't be something we do. It should be someone we are. And it is something that I believe with all my heart, and it's scriptural, but you might not like it. You cannot claim to be a true follower of Jesus and yet hold on to everything and be ungenerous. You just can't. You can claim to have the title Christian, but you can't claim to be a true follower of Jesus without reflecting the generosity of Jesus' heart. You see, giving, I write this down, giving is the lifestyle of a Christian because it's the lifestyle of Christ. Giving is the lifestyle of a Christian because it's the lifestyle of Christ. Do you get that? Do you understand that? You see, God isn't there just to give us things, which he does. But he also gives us himself in relationship. And that, that generous saviour lives in us. His spirit is one with our spirit. He, he, he lives in our heart. He dwells in our heart. So when Paul said, it's not, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's true. The presence of Christ lives in the heart of every believer. And so when we don't reflect his generosity, what we're actually doing is resisting his presence in our heart and in our life. So, let me, let me teach you this, the only way I know how, which is going through a lot of scripture. So you're going to have to kind of bear with me on this and, and go through it with me over the, over the coming weeks. So let me start, and, and I want to show you a basic principle here because this is somewhere where people sometimes go off at a tangent and get lost. You, you ex there's two big things that if you get exposure to uh, all that teaching on the internet, so the, the non-give-to-get like, stuff, you get another extreme. So the give-to-get stuff's over here, but you've got another extreme over there. And this extreme over here goes to something along, like a bit like my mum, oh, they're just going to waste your money. You don't need to give. You've got better things to do with your money. So that's one thing. And, and, you know, and that goes along with this. Uh, let me put it, like, uh, religiously for you. That comes under this heading, I don't have to give because I'm under grace. You see, you don't have to give because you're under grace. It's a complete red herring. It's a nonsense. And, you know, everybody that I've ever heard say, I don't have to give because I'm under grace... Everybody I've ever set, heard say that gives absolutely zero. Whereas Jesus said and Paul said, the point is generosity. The point is like giving way more than the 10%. It's way more generous. Because you're free to do that because you realize the Father is your provider. And, and yet we use, you know, people use all these sort of excuses. So if you've heard that excuse... Again, I have to tell you, that's not scriptural. 
And I'm going to explain why that is, but it's just not. Because grace asks you to be more generous than the law. Grace asks you to give everything and steward everything for the kingdom. So if you want to go under grace, how about giving 100% of your income and just being so totally sold out for Jesus? How cool is that? And trusting the Father to provide for you. Because that's what Paul did and that's what grace teaches. So if you want to go on grace, then guys, 10% is not enough. So by saying I'm under grace, I don't need to give, you're actually putting yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit's saying to you, no, 10% is not enough, guys. Okay? I just wanted to clear that because that's a really common thing. And, it, and it, there's little groups of people and, and it's all out there. So let's have a look at what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to grant you that I'm going to start in what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament's a bit of a misnomer. Biblically, there's no such thing as an Old Testament. The only testament that comes into being is the New Covenant under Jesus, which is actually the New Testament, because it's brought in. A it's, the word testament is what you get in a last will and testament. So Hebrews tells us that Jesus, back through his death, brought in a New Testament, a, an inheritance that is ours. What we have is a series of old covenants. And one of those covenants, as I've been teaching on Truth Quest and taught in the Bible school, is the law. But there was covenants that God entered into before that, right from the time of Adam. So these covenants existed for 2,000 plus years before the law ever came into being. And just because something's in your first bit of your Bible doesn't mean it's law either. It could be wisdom literature. Like nobody, nobody comes along and says, oh, you shouldn't, take, you shouldn't read Proverbs because that's law. Because it's not. It's wisdom principles. That, that Proverbs itself tells us comes from Jesus, who is our wisdom. So you've got wisdom, you've got poetry, you've got history in there. It's not all law. So you can't just say, oh, that was before the cross. So none of it applies to us. You see, I don't, I, people who say things like that, I don't think they understand. Because... I don't think they've actually studied Covenant or studied their Bibles. They just like not have to do anything they don't want to do. So we'll, let's make it religious and have an excuse for it. Here's, here's the point. There's principles that are even in the law. Let me, let me shock you by that. Because you know that Jesus fulfilled the law, he completed it, and the law's now obsolete for us as believers. And yet nobody goes around saying, well, now killing's a good thing because Jesus fulfilled the Ten Commandments. So how about we all go out and murder somebody today? You see, you can't just go, that's Old Testament, it doesn't apply. I know that, that, that's probably the most shocking one, but you know. There's principles because... Through it all, all those covenants are a reflection of God's heart. And so we have to say, right, okay, well, how do we start? What, what, does this, what does this tell us about the way that God sees giving? Because giving's his idea. How do I know that giving's his idea? Because we would never have come up with it. 
You know, it's not our natural fleshly instinct to give. It's our fleshly instinct to have for ourselves and let God have the leftover if we've got any. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, how our expenditure always expands to meet our salaries. You know, we, we can always find stuff to buy and to have. And so if we start from the principle that God gets what's left over, en masse, there'll be never anything left over and the whole church, his whole church across the earth will collapse. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That, you know, if the family, if the family in churches don't give, there is no church. There's nothing to come to. There's nothing to be part of. And, and pretty quickly, you end up with kind of a, an ineffective body because nobody's rooted in a, in a family. So let's start. Exodus 23, verse 19. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. I just want to tell you that the house of the Lord of your God didn't exist at that time. It, it doesn't appear, the instructions to build it don't appear for several more chapters. So what it is, is this is a faith statement looking forward to the time when God would dwell with his people. And, and, and so they're looking forward to the building of the first tabernacle. So let's just... Pull a couple of things out of that bit. As you harvest your crops, bring the leftovers of your very last check at the end of the year. It doesn't say that, does it? So there's something that is perhaps a disjoint with some people's thinking to what God is He's laying out the principle. You know, look at, look at this. So what's he asking for? He's asking, and this is a principle that is from Genesis chapter 4 to Revelation, Jesus' return. It's a principle that goes right through the Bible. Sometimes it gets enthroned and um, encapsulated in this word tithe. But I want you to ignore the word tithe for the moment because somehow it gets to be a blockage for people. The actual biblical principle is the principle of first fruits. And Jesus exemplifies that principle of first fruits because he was the first fruit. God gave his absolute best for you. And he becomes the firstborn of a new family called the church, the body of Christ, which gives our absolute best for him. So he's asking us to give the first fruits. Now, get that clear. If you're the sort of person that does a budget at the start of the year or whatever, the first line in the budget after incomings is giving. It's not the last line. Because if it's the last line, none of this will work for you and you are short-circuiting God's ability to provide for you. Because his ability works through faith. So it's the very best of the first harvest. And where does that go? 
it goes to the house of the Lord. This is God's way of providing for his work, and this is God's way of providing for his church, and it's not changed. It's never changed, right from the beginning to the end. The purpose that from, from God's perspective is he wants us to give so his church is provided for. Now, I realize, you know, years of experience of being a pastor and before that, that there's certain things that people understand which is a bit different from that. One of these is I can't afford to give to church because I send all my money to support my family or to support somebody going through university or support a nephew, so I can't give. And, and that's a very cultural thing. It's not, not a big cultural thing amongst white Westerners, but it is a big cultural thing, and, and I understand that. But we aren't to be conformed to the pattern of culture. It's actually an unbiblical thing. It's a manipulative thing that's got ingrained in those cultures. And I understand why that is, because when you've got nothing, you've got to find ways of getting something. But God says, give your first fruits... And I'll find a way of providing for those things that are on your heart. But don't not give the first fruits and say, well, I've given it because I've given it somewhere else. No, the first fruits come to provide for the work of the body of Christ, for the church. Let me show you this. I'll just go through a lot of verses quickly. Leviticus 23.10, give the following instructions to the people of Israel when you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest, what? It's first crops. Bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. So what is it? It's the first. Where's it going? To provide for the work. Numbers 18, 12. I also give you the harvest gifts brought by the people as offerings to the Lord the best of the olive oil, the new wine, and the grain. Now, I get that when you talk about Leviticus and you talk about numbers, it's easy to go, well, that's law. Let's talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, he, he, that takes place after Israel's bombed out. They've not followed God. They've reject, rebelled against God, not followed his ways. They've got taken into exile. They've got scattered. And they return to the land after fulfillment of a prophecy that had been there for, I think in almost 400 years at that point, it was prophesied that a certain king would rise and the Bible gives you his name hundreds of years before he was ever born and he says there's going to be a king and he's going to rise and he's going to return my people to the land. Nehemiah comes back and starts to rebuild the walls of the city and they start to rebuild the temple. And so he, he brings in this this. this this principle again, and here we go. Nehemiah 10.35, this is the people responding to what Nehemiah has just said. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. So it's a consistent thing. Whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. And then in 10.37, 
We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God and we'll bring the best of our flour and our grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil and we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. So that's where the, the word tithe comes from. So what, what they had is that the people bringing into the temple their best from their harvest and so on. And then the Levites, the, the priestly order, would go around all the rural towns who couldn't get in and collect from there. And that's what, that's what they called the tithe. Because people wanted to give. So even though they, they were nowhere near the temple, they wanted to give. So the Levites would go out to them and collect it in and bring it back in for them because they had no way of getting it there. And that's, what, that's where this word tithe comes from. Tithe means 10%, by the way. Okay, so let's come down to this verse. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now that's Proverbs, that's not law, that's wisdom principles. And in those wisdom principles, it says this, honor the Lord. Secondly, how do you do that? Well, one way you do that is you bring the best part of everything you produce. And then what happens is because you've given with the right heart and the right motive, then he'll fill your barns with grain, your vats will overflow with good wine. That's God's promise. That's his covenant on the other side. And he'll get you a car when you can't afford a car. Because you give with the right motives. Ezekiel 44.30 The first of the ripe fruits and all the gifts brought to the Lord will go to the priest. The first batch of dough must also be given to the priest. Why? So the Lord can bless your homes. God gives us everything... And he asks us from our heart to steward that well. And as a reflection of our heart to trust him to provide for his work by giving part of that back, the best part. Can you just go five more minutes? Okay? Because we started late. We try and start at 10.30. Here's the thing, and I, I'll talk about this about a lot more in the coming weeks. If you don't want to give, you can respond to that and say, well, that's all Old Testament. I've tried to show you why that's wisdom literature, some of it, but here's the point. The law, all, saying it's Old Testament doesn't get you out. Saying it's the law... And the law is now fulfilled by Jesus and he's obsolete for us. That's fine. But there was covenants in existence for 2,000 years before the law. And so this is a principle. It's, it's not a law. The law just codified it for, for that particular generation of Israel. But it's a principle. And so here's the principle. Let, let, how many of you know the story of Cain and Abel? Can't get much earlier than that. We could get Adam. But there's no record of him doing anything. Uh, I guess it's hard to give to yourself when you're the only people around. 
you are the church, aren't you? <laughs> anyway, Cain and Abel, first multiplication. What happens? They bring an offering to the Lord. How did they know to do that? Because God had shared his heart with them. There was no law. The law doesn't come till Moses. So they bring an offering. And what happens? Um, Cain brings the last. He brings the dregs. He brings the leftovers. He brings some vegetables. You know that, like, wonky fruit. These are wonky, moldy vegetables. And he brings them in. He's the guy that says, I don't know, can't afford anything. Don't have to give. I'll need it all for myself. Abel brings the first of his herd and gives it to God. And it says God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and displeased with Cain's. So what's God pleased with? Well, let, let me just put it in. Abel brought the first fruit. Now, what that tells me is this. Firstly, because God was pleased and displeased. It tells me this. God can tell the difference between the two, even if pastor can't. Okay, God can tell the difference between the two, even if pastor can't. Secondly, it tells me he's got a clear preference between the two. And that teaches a valuable lesson. It says, teaching me this, that being generous like Jesus means giving something that costs us. You see, I might go more than five minutes. But let me put it this way, because I think this, you need to hear this. You need to hear my heart on this. I don't care whether you give or not. I can go off and do something else. Honestly, I can. I've done other things with my life. I don't care for me. What I care about is you guys. And I care that at this time, as we're heading towards the end of all things, that you walk and follow Jesus faithfully. And you understand why you're doing it. Even if nobody else in any other church or anybody outside the church, if they all think you're crazy, we have to walk faithful to Jesus. And so... I want you to understand this. I don't care for me. This isn't about like keeping faith life going. I mean, it does keep faith life going because that's God's principle. But it's actually, I'm doing this because I want you to be faithful followers of Jesus and not found wanting at the end. You see, a lot of Christians start well and end badly. And I don't want anybody that God's given to my care to do that. So for me, you know, when, when people have given in the past and then stopped, some, you know, some people stopped the minute we went into lockdown and have not started again. It breaks my heart for them. It does. That, that's, that's, it's not about me. It's not about faith life. It's about being faithful and honouring God with everything that we have and everything we have. Because at the end, he's the only one that matters. 
And, and if I've got to manipulate people to get that, I refuse to do it. I refuse to get the behavior at the cost of the heart because it's your heart that God is after. You probably also know that Abraham, so his question, oh, there's an Abrahamic covenant. God entered into a covenant with Abraham. Let me summarize that covenant. He'd be fruitful. He'd have like generations scattered across the earth like the grains of the sand, all that sort of stuff. But the key thing in that covenant is I will bless you in order for you to bless others. So the key part of the covenant with Abraham, apart from that God setting a people apart from himself, was I will bless you to be a blessing to others. And, and Abraham, at one point in his life, all his, uh, his, his family and, and those around him become vulnerable. They're attacked and uh, defeated. And it's mem all his servants and all sorts of goods and precious things are all taken away as spoil. And Abraham says, I'm having none of that because my God's bigger than their God. And he goes after them. And with God's help, he defeats them and gets everything back. Plus all their stuff. And he brings it back. And what's the first thing he does? He goes to the priest called Melchizedek and gives him 10% of everything that he's got. That's not law. That's honoring God. It, it's understanding who God is. Let me finish with this one. Just so you know, Jacob also before the law. Jacob vows, you remember the story of Jacob that he, uh, there's an incident in his life. He's uh, wandering in a far off land and he finds this place and he put, puts, puts down his stone for a pillow and, and goes to sleep. I don't know how you go to sleep with a stone for a pillow, but this guy must have been so tired he managed it. And he goes to sleep, and he ends up, and an angel comes, the angel of the Lord, and he ends up wrestling with this angel. Do you remember that story? And he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And he, and, and he, and he gets blessed. But look, this is what Jacob vows. This is, this is his, how he kind of uh, got it. Jacob made this vow. If God will, will be with me and protect me on this journey... And he'll provide me with food and clothing. And if I, I return safely to my father's home, he hasn't, by the way, he hasn't completely got it yet. This is early on in Jacob's life. Jacob's, Jacob's not a very savory character. Um, you know, he came out trying to rob his brother. And then he did rob his brother. So he hasn't quite got it. But this, this, he understands what, God is after. He says, I return safely to my father's home. Then the Lord will certainly be my God. So he's still thinking a bit contingently. If this all turns out well, that you can be my God. But then he says this, and this memorial pillar I have set up. So he set up a, like, a, like a memorial where this stone was that he fell asleep on and wrestled the angel. This memorial pillar will become a place for worshipping God. So, a place of worship. And I will present to God 
He's looking forward in faith. I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So we can see that this principle, just get, get, get the kind of tithe word out of your head. This principle is the principle of first fruits. And the principle goes beyond the law. It's an enduring principle, and it's rooted in one motive. A love response to a generous God. So let me go back to that verse thing. Giving is the lifestyle of a Christian because it's the lifestyle of Jesus, the Christ. Amen? Do you get something out of that? Did you, had you heard some of that before? Yeah? Good. Well done, Roger. Roger's got it. Oh, rock solid. Yeah, rock solid. Okay, so I'm going to be coming back, talking a bit more about first fruits uh, next week. Let's stand. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for those testimonies that we heard this morning of the work that you're doing amongst us and through us and that you are our provider. You are the one who, in whom we can trust. And we thank you, Lord, for this enormous privilege we have to steward all that you give us, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Yes. And we thank you, Lord, that through that, that you establish your church, you establish your body, and we reach others, and we see new lives, new salvations. We see changed life, changing lives. And we thank you for that. Amen. Amen.